Let us pray. Loving God, may the words that flow from my mouth be inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in week three of our series on the book of Ephesians, and I haven't really heard anybody tell us much about Ephesus, or at least ancient Ephesus. Um, you may or may not know, I know some people have visited Ephesus. Um, Stephen Hale, who uh, spoke our first week, um, had actually celebrated Holy Communion um, where Paul had preached, um, which would have been an amazing experience. But Ephesus was a very important commercial hub uh, in the ancient Near East. And at that time was the epicenter for worship for many of the Greek and Roman gods. It had a sort of a thriving metropolis of lots of different uh, nationalities who had come there for their trade, uh, for their life, and people would come in and then they would go out. A little bit like the Gold Coast used to be. <laughs> you can read about Paul's arrival in um, Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. And it details a really impactful ministry to the Jews and to the Gentiles. We hear of Paul's persistent teaching and also some really amazing miracles, just uh, like Acts says here. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that when the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Wow. Amazing. He was there, um, it says in Acts, for more than two years. Um, scholars think about three years, but at least two and a bit years. Um, but being a commercial and a multicultural hub, this gave Paul and the new Ephesian church both unique access and influence. It says in Acts 10 that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, or Jews and non-Jews, heard the word of the Lord. That's pretty amazing coming from the place of Ephesus. A successful and impactful church in Ephesus meant that the gospel message was shared much more widely than just to the Ephesians. And if the letter to the Ephesians is anything to go by, it was a successful and an impactful church. We don't see anywhere near the signs of dysfunction that you see in other letters that Paul writes, particularly to the letters uh, to the Corinthian church. To get church right in Ephesus mattered. Because if Ephesus, get, if Ephesus gets it, then the world gets it. The section that we're uh, looking at today is the end of what many see as the first half of the letter. All about who God is, what God has done through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. The second half of the letter starts to point towards what our response should be because of who God is. But what did the Ephesian church need to get for the world to get it. And I think this short passage shows us that we 
have a fairly clear answer to that question. The family that prays together not only stays together, that family, in the power of the Holy Spirit, can change the world. If we get prayer right, we can change the world. In our busy lifestyle, it's easy for prayer to be compartmentalised to a particular time of day or a particular part of our week. We might pray after reading a devotional in the morning. We could pray at the beginning of a meal. We could pray before we go to bed. Of course, we pray when we need something. And we pray when we gather together. But does that actually change anything? Have we actually done anything? The important thing to know, and Paul brings this out beautifully in this prayer, is that prayer and action aren't supposed to be two separate parts of life. One way of looking at these three chapters is as a summary of what God has done. But another way of looking at the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is that it's three chapters that are soaked in prayer, soaked in praise, soaked in thanksgiving, and soaked in worship. There is plenty to learn about God, Father, Son, and Spirit in these three chapters. But perhaps the best Christian teaching is what emerges from a life soaked in prayer, praise, thanksgiving, and worship. And when I really sat down to think about it, I realised the biggest revelations in my life didn't come from reading some fancy academic work. It didn't come from listening to a podcast. It didn't come from reading a Bible commentary. The times when I've had the most profound revelations of who God is and what God has done for me have been when I've been soaked in prayer, praise, thanksgiving and worship and when I have been with others. God does work in multitudes of ways and I don't want to suggest that God doesn't work in people's lives in times of solitude and silence, in times of personal reflection, reading and study. God most certainly does. But there is something special about the gathering together of the family of God for the purpose of prayer, praise, thanksgiving and worship. If the last 18 months has taught me anything, it is as much as I thank God for the possibility of online worship and the connection that we can have through technology, it's not the same and it's not a replacement for gathering together. The gathering together that we can have in two or three, in 20 or 30, or two or 300. Last week, Marianne introduced us to the idea that the church is a family that is not made up in the usual way. We are not bonded together by common ancestry or genetics. 
We are a motley crew. Now, I had a very important thing to do to correct something that Marianne didn't do last week. When you use the word motley crew, you have to show motley crew. I'm not sure, though, that that's what she meant. (laughs) But if we're not bonded by genetics, what are we bonded by? Of course, part of the answer is that we are bonded by the saving work of Jesus. But the other part of the answer is that we are bonded together by prayer. We are called to be a family that prays together for each other in in expectation of far, far more than we can ask for or imagine. So this morning I want to walk through our prayer and just see where it takes us. The section begins, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Paul uses the expression for this reason to refer to the gathering together of this family that deconstructs both cultural and societal divides and unites them in Jesus. Because of this, Paul can do nothing but find himself in a posture of prayer. He falls to his knees. It's a sense of awe and reverence, a sense of humility that has overcome Paul. A sheer wonder that God could do this for these people. How often do we take the time to really notice who's around us on a Sunday? It's particularly hard at the moment with people wearing face masks. But have we taken the time to notice what God is doing and through whom God is doing it through? Paul is a church leader, is a church planter extraordinaire. And it is a privilege of church leadership that I've experienced countless times to stand in front and around a group of worshippers and just think, wow, God is working through these people. I know some of their stories, some of their challenges and, cha- and difficulties. Yet God is still working. You see, this isn't just a privilege for people like me, for people of history like Paul. The whole family can rejoice in this privilege. We've just got to pay a little more attention. And when we find we pay attention, we might just find that Like Paul, we find ourselves falling to our knees in a posture of prayer. Loving God, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Let's look at the next couple of verses. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, 
he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with the power with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and you are being rooted and grounded in love notice something really special here paul isn't praying for himself if as some scholars suggest at this time in paul's life he's in prison, then I could imagine there's plenty of things that Paul could be praying for himself about. Or writing to the churches that he regards as family and saying, please, please pray for me, please pray for me. But instead, he writes to pray for them. He writes to demonstrate his deep prayer for his family. But what he's praying for, I I think, is is the really cool part for Bible nerds like me. Um, If you go back to Acts chapter 19, where Paul enters into Ephesus, the very, very first thing that Paul does with the Ephesian church is to introduce them to the Holy Spirit. They'd only been baptised in what was known as John's baptism, the baptism of repentance, and they hadn't even, until Paul arrived, heard of who the Holy Spirit was. Now, years later, Paul prays that what began would not just continue, that it would strengthen, it would take a deeper root, would become their foundation. In the world in which we're living, in how often do we find ourselves looking for the next thing? I have to admit, I'm always looking for the next version of technology or new gadget that I can upgrade to. Something new, something fresh and something innovative. And that can easily leak into our spiritual life. We've got to be singing the latest songs and and the preacher needs to be wearing the right clothes and the band needs to be all looking the same and, and the church needs to be set up the right way. But notice what Paul's doing here. Paul is praying that this church that he became family with, that he introduced to the Holy Spirit to deepen that intimate relationship with God, but also to create family, he prays that they are drawn back into where they began. Not just in a reminiscence way, but in a deep sense of connection. I wonder what would happen if we started to pray for each other this way. That we might be strengthened, deepened and grounded in what originally drew us into the family in the first place. This is definitely not praying that we can wind back the clock. I think we do that naturally anyway too much. But can you imagine what impact a church that is so motivated and directed by the very thing that welcomed them into family could have. What power, what passion, what purpose. So I pray. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, 
he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. The great thing about this prayer is that it gets better and bigger. Paul goes on, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I don't know if you remember back in 1995, some people may not have been born in 1995, uh, but there was a song called uh, One of Us, which had the line, what if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us? Well, you know what? God was one of us. God lived, died and rose again for us. When you think about that, it makes no sense in earthly comprehension. But I think our religiosity can often desensitize us to the magnitude of what God has done through Jesus. Paul says what God has done surpasses human knowledge. This God, this way for us. The breadth, length, height and depth is enormous. But I, what I really love about this part in the prayer is verse 19 which says, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It makes me wonder, could we actually start praying like this? That the people in our church family would be filled with the fullness of God. What difference would it make to you to know that someone in your church family is praying that way for you right now? What impact would a motley crew filled with the fullness of God have on our world? I'm sure you know, as I do, people who seem filled with the fullness of God. I'm sure they themselves don't feel like that all the time. But when you're around those type of people, you just feel holier. But what if we prayed for a church filled with people who were filled with the fullness of God. It wouldn't matter what restrictions that governments put on our gatherings because this type of church can't help but be contagious in the right way by spreading God's love. So I'm going to pray. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And finally, Paul prays, now to him 
by the power who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen I read a reflection by Bishop Tom Wright um, that encourages you after you finish reading this passage from Paul to really hone in on those last two verses and then think what God might do in and through you. And then remind yourself that God is perfectly capable capable of trebling that, going far beyond what you would imagine and pray for yourself. And Bishop Tom uh, asks us when we read this reflection, to imagine ourselves years later looking back at the prayer that we're praying now and wondering how we could be so short-sighted. I love that idea that our prayers could be short-sighted. It just asks us to increase them, doesn't it? But to pray boldly and to know that God can do far more than what we can hope for and imagine. And as much as I love Tom Wright and I often don't disagree with him, I want to stretch his idea a bit further. I don't disagree with this, but I think we can do better. We can do more, far more imaginally than we can imagine if we're just praying for ourselves. What if instead of thinking what God might do in and through me, I started to pray about specific people I know? Small groups of people people who are involved in the life of our church in particular ways. In fact, what if I was to pray specifically for our entire church? What if instead of wondering what God could do for me, what God is doing in and through me, each of us instead could commit to pray for our church and for its people, for its members specifically, to bring to mind those names and those faces that hide behind the face masks. Those people that we see around us right now, those people in our homes, those people that we are disconnected from, those people that we haven't seen for a while. In the knowledge that as we're doing that, somebody's actually praying for us. And so we're not missing out. I've actually always thought that the prayers that others pray for me are always way bigger than the prayers that I allow myself to pray for myself. What does it feel like to know that somebody else is praying bigger prayers for you than what you would pray for yourself? As we continue to explore our church DNA and question who we are and what next, Can I call you to one thing? Prayer for each other. Specific prayers. Allow yourself to be regularly soaked in prayer, praise, thanksgiving and worship. That we might find ourselves sometime in the future looking back at this present moment and knowing that we've been praying to a God 
who is perfectly capable of going far, far beyond all our imagining and our expectations. That we might look back with wonder on how short-sighted our prayers were because of what God has accomplished in and through us, you and me, each other, those who aren't here yet. Can I pray? Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Time to soak yourselves in a bit more worship. So let's stand together.